Welcome to the Constructing Greatness Podcast, where I will be sharing real stories with inspiring tradesmen and many other driven and passionate leaders in the construction industry. I'm your host, Nicholas Ofak, and I've been in the construction business since 1996 as a construction manager and have worked for some of the largest builders in the United States. I'm now a business owner, entrepreneur, and partner in a firm where we've successfully managed to be listed on the Inc. 5000, America's fastest growing private companies three years in a row. The purpose of this podcast is to create awareness about the value of working in the trades and to educate about the great benefits and rewarding opportunities it can create. Are you ready to help me remove the stigma about the trades and take this fun journey with me? Let's do it. Kevin, I appreciate you joining me on my first podcast interview. I'm super excited that you are my first one because you have a perspective like we just touched on earlier prior to the recording. You have a perspective on both college and being in the trades world. A little bit on Kevin. Kevin is a general foreman that's been in the trades for what, 30 plus years now, Kevin? Yeah, we're going on uh, 33 years now. Yeah. And you are with Tracy Mechanical currently? Yes, I'm with Tracy Mechanical and I'm in the Steamfitters Union out of Philadelphia, local Union 420. Kevin's and I passed crossed back in 2007, 2008. We did a um, $75 million Tyler School of Art for Temple University. I believe Tracy had the plumbing and the mechanical piping package on that project. The employer at the time I was working for, we were the CM, the construction manager, and we managed the whole project to completion. Kevin's company, Tracy Mechanical, was one of many, probably two dozen trades on that project. Yes. Big job. That was a huge, huge undertaking. Yeah. That took us about 30 months to complete, if I remember correctly. Yeah. From beginning to end. Kevin, just tell us a little bit about what you do. Day in, day out as a general foreman for the Steamfitters Union. Okay, so like you said, yeah, I'm in the Steamfitters Union. And my job on a daily basis involves leading other journeymen steamfitters. And what a steamfitter is, is in basic terms, it's somebody that works with HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So that's kind of like the basic thing that we do. There's heating and cooling. So you would have like heating pipes or chilled water. Those are, we install those systems. So that's kind of like the basic that a steam fitter does. But the interesting thing about being a steam fitter is it's one of those trades where we expand into many different areas, whereas a carpenter may work on drywall and maybe cabinetry. We have our HVAC, but then we also get into some petrochemical work, which is like oil refineries. So we'll do all the pipe work there. We do pharmaceutical plants. So we'll do any of the process piping that's involved in making medicine and We do other things such as, like right now I'm working on a a project or just finished up a project, a marijuana grow facility. So we'll do the irrigation for the plants that they're trying to grow. 
So, you know, there's, cool. we, yeah, we do a little bit of everything. One large portion of our trade in Philadelphia is with the healthcare industry. So, I mean, that's one of my specialties. I've done several hospitals, additions, new buildings. And what we do in addition to the HVAC in the hospitals is the medical gases. So if you're lying in a hospital bed, you know, and you kind of turn around look behind you and you'll see on the wall, that's called the head wall. And in the head wall, you have typically you'll have oxygen, vacuum, medical air. In some of the operating rooms, you'll have nitrous oxide, nitrogen, carbon dioxide that, you know, assists in surgeries. So that's the thing about being a steam fitter. You know, there's so many different things that we do and there's so many areas of the construction industry that we kind of dip into. You know, I'm glad I chose that trade because of that, because I get to see so many different things. And, and, you know, back to the project that you and I did together at the time, the Tyler School of Art was, you know, their, that was Temple's premier building that they wanted to get that thing done. They, I think yeah. Fox School of Business was going on at the same time. Yeah. And, After. and, uh, yeah, yeah. and yeah. T- the Tyler School of Art, that was like their crown jewel. And to be involved in that was really, you know, exciting for me, you know, and, and it was yeah. a pleasure working with you too. You know? Oh, absolutely, Kevin. Yeah, man. Pleasure was all mine, and I hope to work with you again soon. But back to Tyler School of Art, I mean, just let's talk about some of the specifics there. I mean, how about the like the glass kilns, the amount of exhaust that was needed? It was almost like a big laboratory, that building, because of the, you know, the, the various different fumes from the different, what, there was metals, there was wood, all the different shop type, you know, atmosphere and classes that they would perform. What were some of your challenges on that project? You know, it's interesting that you ask that question because the different art forms that the professors were going to be teaching the students there, I had never come across. Like some of the stuff that they were doing with the kilns and some of the stuff that they were doing with small jewels at the tables. Mm -hmm. I had never seen anything like that. And we almost had to kind of design our own way of providing the fuel, like the gas, the natural gas to the tables. And that was one of our, you know, a big challenge for us. It was, uh, you know, I listed kind of everything that we did. Natural gas is another thing that we deal with a lot. So at the Tyler School of Art, we had these huge kilns and they had to take in so much natural gas for them to operate at a high temperature. But at the same time, we had these small torches at the tables and they had a different you know, rate of gas that they had to use. So that was the challenge. How do we divide that up? And we had to put in, you know, what we call gas boosters. We had to put in regulators and, you know, it was, it was interesting. And then, uh, and also at those tables, they had compressed air and oxygen and, you know, all kinds of different things that we, you know, these professors who were artists themselves, you know, they use these things to to make their creations. Yeah, you know, it was interesting to be to be part of that. So it, it really was, and and just like a couple things that I remember. Do you remember the melting point of glass? I think I learned the melting point of glass on that project, if I recall correctly. Twenty two hundred degrees. Does that sound about right? <laughs> you know that does sound familiar. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
something I learned on that. It was just neat to see them. Remember them doing samples? They were doing like little samples, like of the glass, making little things for us. It, it was really neat. Yeah. Really neat to be a part of. Yeah. But Kevin, thank you again, man, for being here. And and one of the things that I wanted to to share and, and why Kevin again is on here is how loyal of a guy he is, how driven of a guy he is. You know, he takes his craft extremely serious. He's very detail oriented. And that's some of the things that I just remember about you and dealing with you as the foreman for the mechanical trade. As a construction manager, we would meet with Kevin, who was one of the foremen of many. And, and usually it's there's a core. We don't require every foreman to be at the meetings. It's usually the big five to eight trades that we have to coordinate and meet. And Kevin was always there first, always on time, ready for those meetings with his paperwork. And I remember you being very organized. <laughs> yeah. You know, I appreciate that, Nick. You know, that means a lot to me because as the construction manager, you know, your job is to hire the subcontractors. Okay. And you're choosing those subcontractors with, you know, end results in mind, and you're trying to help the owner, you know, which at that on that job was Temple University, you know, a huge, you know, client. And so I have that in mind when I'm, you know, not only representing Tracy Mechanical, but I'm representing Steamfitters Local Union 420. I mean, I want to do the best job that I can for you, for Temple, so that, you know, we kind of develop a, a long-term relationship, you know, sure. and, and, and I appreciate you recognizing that because I, yes, I am driven, you know, I am, I'm internally motivated, but it's really for external reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, I get up every morning, somebody is entrusting me to do a job. And at this point it's Tracy Mechanical, it's Steamfitters Local Union 420. And if we're doing a job together, you know, it's you. So I have that responsibility, you know, as we all should, you know. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, getting you again, one of many foremen, it's teamwork. The whole atmosphere is teamwork and we all need to maintain that common goal. And that's to get to the finish line and work together, you know, as we're doing it. Now, that was a great project. I certainly learned a lot. And as you mentioned, there were many things on that project that I've never seen before. And it was just great to be a part of it. That was towards the beginning of your career, wasn't it? Was it back then or? No, that was the first year with, with Hunter Roberts Construction Group. Yeah, I was recruited to come there and, and uh, it was just me and another superintendent. And then we brought in other staff later on as the project started to develop. But no, I started back in 1996 with L.F. Driscoll. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you've been around a while too. A little bit, yeah. Going on 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> You're 33 years, right? Yeah. So you are a dog lover like me. That's another thing I wanted to share. I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, first of all, I followed your, you know, your wife was getting ready to open that business. I'm sorry that, you know, she didn't do it. But well, we did. But COVID kind of put a stop to it. Yeah. So we had when my daughter was young, very young, um, she had been attacked by a dog and had this great fear of animals. And it took us years and years to get her over that fear. And we ended up getting a, what do they call it? King Charles Cavalier Spaniel. 
That's real, so you know, supposed to, be real, supposed to be real docile, nice little dog, friendly and everything. Well, I, I think this, our dog's name is Phil. He was named after the Philadelphia Phillies because he was born in 2008, which is when the Phillies won the World Series. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, but we think Phil's mom might have been sleeping around a little bit because he is <laughs> not a King Charles Cavalier, typical. He's probably about 45 pounds where those mm-hmm. Those dogs are normally smaller, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it actually getting him though has helped our daughter. You know, she has really uh, kind of allayed her fears a little bit. Good. No, glad to hear that for sure. Your path in college, you want to touch on your background with college again, Kevin, I think you're the perfect one to start off this podcast because you've experienced both sides. And just kind of touch on where you wanted to go, where you were headed, and how you got into the trades exactly. Okay. So right out of high school. So in high school, I was a, I was a wrestler, high school wrestler. Went up to Albert Darby High School. And right out of high school, I went to college, Shippensburg University. And, you know, the mindset at that time was, hey, you know, you got to go to college, get your degree, whatever. However, I focused more on wrestling and not as much on my studies. And after two years, my father said, look, we can't do this anymore. You're like, your grades aren't very good. All you're doing is wrestling. Let's take some time off here. So I said, all right. So I had to get a job. So I got a job driving a truck for a uh, mechanical contractor, Pendradell. I don't know if you remember. They're, they're Ram Mechanical now. Okay. Yeah. So I got a job driving and my father was in the industry. He was a salesman for a large pipe valve and fitting company. So after a while, I said, you know what? I got to get a job. Let me start. It's getting older. I got to get some money. And I didn't have enough money to go to college on my own. Parents couldn't afford it. So he said, look, go down to the union hall, Steamfitters Union, and grab an application, fill it out, see what they say. So I did that. And then I had to, then the way the process works is you fill in an application and then you take a standard labor test. And what it is, it's, it's a written portion and it's a practical portion. And the practical portion, they work on, um, they put you through a dexterity test, like putting nuts and bolts together, mm-hmm. putting pegs in, in holes, mm-hmm. just to see how you are with your hands. Okay. So you go through that test and those two tests and then you get graded. And then if you do well, then you get to an interview and then you go through the interview and they ask you, Hey, what do you know about being a steam fitter? Why do you want to get into this business? You know, typical job interview questions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you do well and if, you know, you're lucky, you get in. And I got in. And I think that because I had a little bit of college behind me that helped Mm -hmm. because in our trade, we do a lot of science and we do a lot of math. We're kind of like hands-on engineers, mechanical engineers. So we have to do a lot of figuring in the field. So I got into the union and it's a five-year apprenticeship program. And we go to class one day every two weeks for full eight hours. And for the first year, it's mostly in the classroom, teaching you theory, history of the trade. And then they start to get you into the shop where you learn how to weld or solder, or braise, 
you know, type different, you know, of the different practical aspects of the trade. But the good thing about being in the union, and I'm not even going to necessarily say union, but being in a trade is that you're learning a skill while you're earning money. So, yes, I got in, you know, it's a five-year program. It's broken up into six-month periods. So there's 10 periods. So first period, you come in and you're already earning money, but you're being educated at the same time. Right. So it's not like you're taking a loan out or you're, you know, you're paying a university to teach you and then you got to maybe, hey, try to get a job or you have to have a part-time job to pay for your university. Like mm-hmm. it's all together. Now you sign a contract right up front and you say, hey, look, we're going to teach you and we're going to pay you. You know, you're part of us now. You're part of this organization. So go through that five-year apprenticeship and each year, you know, you get a wage increase. Actually, it's every six months you get a wage increase. You get health benefits after so many days, and those health benefits include health insurance, pension, IRA, those types of things. So went through the apprenticeship. It's a five-year program, graduated, got right into being a foreman, which that is another wage increase. Mm -hmm. And I was doing well. I had a very financially sound job and I had an education, but I also had a desire to finish that college degree. And the thing about having gone through the apprenticeship and having a job as a tradesman, and I also, you know, one of my hobbies or one of my kind of um, passions is teaching Mm -hmm. and coaching. So I went, as I was going through my apprenticeship, I was coaching wrestling and I was coaching at my old high school. And I loved working with the kids so much that two years after I got out of my apprenticeship, I said, you know what? I want to go back and finish my degree and become a teacher. So I kind of, I didn't leave the union. I just kind of put that employment on hold and went and finished my college degree for teaching. But at the time, after I got that teaching degree, there weren't any teaching positions open. Mm. So I had to make a decision what do I do? I mean, there's no, there's no teaching jobs right now. Mm -hmm. Well, went back into the trade and thank God that I did. Cause at the time my wife, we had just gotten married and then we, you know, had a baby, you know, I needed something to do. I needed a career. And because I had that trade, because I had that kind of fallback plan, if the teaching didn't work out, I was able to go right back into it. And you know, got on a job, got back to being a foreman, and it just showed up every day at work, did what I was asked to do, climb the ladder. And 25 years later, after that, you know, here I am, I'm a general foreman. I'm one of the lead guys at, you know, one of the top mechanical contracting companies in the region. Yep. And it's, it's a blessing, you know, but it was that from the beginning, like, hey, I got to learn something. I have to have something that's mm-hmm. going to make me marketable. I have to have, whether it's a trade or whatever, but I have to have a fallback plan. And not everybody has that opportunity to go to college right out of high school. They don't have it. And a lot of kids don't understand that the opportunity to learn a trade is there. And it's more prevalent than most people know. 
And for years, being in the construction industry was looked down upon as, hey, you're, you know, you're not as. Four decades. Yeah. Yeah. You're like a second class citizen almost, yeah. you know, and. Yeah. And it's, um, it's slowly changing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you, Nick, the, the most interesting thing for me, because I was right out of high school, I went to college. Right. But I told you after two years, you know, I ended up getting into the trade. And some of the people that I came across and worked with in the trade from the get go were some of the most intelligent people that I've ever met. And me too. Yeah. Like, like, for example, I mean, I told you all those different places that I've worked, you know, I've mm-hmm. worked in chemical plants and pharmaceutical plants and oil refineries and hospitals. And some of the people that I work with, you know, and I'm talking the tradesmen, like these guys are real. These men and women that I work with are very, very intelligent. They know what they're doing and they know how to make things work. And, you know, they use, you know, a combination of common sense and logic to build, I mean, you just step, like if you're, say where we live in Jersey, so you come over that bridge every day and you look at that city, like tradesmen built that city. Yeah. Yeah. I come over that bridge and I smile every day. Yeah. Because I had my hand in quite a few buildings and you even more so. Yeah, man. And that's what I love about it. The passion, you know, of the tradesmen, you know, and of course not every tradesman has that, but when you see it, it's just fun to watch. It's fun to watch them work and, and just watch the tricks of the trade. And I love to be out in the field just to watch it happen. Um, oh, yeah. The, the tricks of the trade, that really, you know, I love that because, you know, you know you're a homeowner and you've like, oh, man, I hey, and you yeah. see the carpenter like <laughs> like I'm looking in, in my room right now, you know, with these cabinets that we built here. And, and I'm like, wow, I learned some of that stuff on the job by watching that guy, you know, yep. and there's so many skills that you can learn. And, you know, so the. Yeah. Okay. You're earning money as a tradesman, but you're also saving money because you don't have to hire anybody to work on your house. You can do it yourself. Yep. Absolutely. I learned so much from you guys in the field, man. (laughs) No, good stuff. Um, What's the uh, journeyman hourly rate currently? I just like to share that. Do you know at the top of your head or? So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, as a general foreman, it's a higher percentage. And and the interesting thing is about being in, in our business is that there's a minimum that you have to make. All right. So mm-hmm. we have the collective bargaining agreement with the mechanical contractors and they say, and they, the both sides agree. Okay. This is the minimum that you're going to make. Okay. Now you can negotiate over and above that, which mo- many people do. So the minimum, I think it's, you know, it's between 50 and $60 an hour right now. For a journeyman. Is that the journeyman? Or journeyman, yeah. Yeah, I was just looking for roughly. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's also the package that goes along with that. And when I say mm-hmm. the package, it's the health benefits, the health insurance that you get, which the contractor pays for. You have a pension that the contractor contributes to. Mm-hmm. You have a IRA individual retirement account fund that the contractor contributes to based on, you know, the number of hours that you work. And there's also, you know, one thing that I really like is we have a vacation fund so that they take money out immediately for a vacation fund. So they already put that money aside for you, you know, and it's kind of, they kind of help you save money. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I said, it's right around 50 or $60 an hour and it's, but the benefits, you know, are uh, 
kind of a cherry on top. You know, because sure. in this day and age, we know how expensive healthcare is, and it's nice to have that kind of insurance that, especially when you have a young family. For sure. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you big time wrestler, which I knew, and that was another connection that you and I had because you were also a college athlete. But you coached at what university was it? George Mason University. George Mason. Okay. Yeah. That's and that was, you know, that's an interesting story too. So being in this trade, you start early in the morning, six o'clock, seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're done, if you've worked your eight hours, you got a big afternoon in front of you. Well, I was able to get right from work and when I was younger and go right to the high school wrestling practice. So I was all through my apprenticeship. I was coaching high school wrestling at my old, my high school, Upper Derby. When I decided that I want to go back to college and finish my degree and I was getting married at the time, my fiance and I, we said, Hey, let's look at this strategically. Let's see if we can go somewhere where you can get a job and I can finish my degree. Well, we ended up going down to George Mason University because my wife had worked for Mellon Bank at the time. And, you know, there was an opportunity maybe down there to, you know, get into banking. So we go down there and we're visiting the campus on a campus tour. And I said, hey, let's go off the tour. Let's go check out the wrestling room. So we go into the wrestling room and it's empty, except there's a door cracked in the back. It's an office. And this guy comes out of the office And he says, hey, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm just kind of looking around here. I might go to school here to finish my degree. And he says, oh, do you wrestle? And I said, well, I used to. I coach now. And he says, where do you coach? And I said, Upper Darby High School. And he said, hey, I want to talk with you. Can you come back like around five o'clock? I said, yeah, sure. (laughs) So we left, right? And I come back at five o'clock and you know, he's telling me all about the program. Now, George Mason is an NCAA Division One program. And at the time, you know, they had just won the they were in the Colonial Athletic Association. So they had won the conference and they were very good. They had an All-American that year. And so the guy's telling me all about this program. And he says, look, I want to offer you the head assistant coaching position. I go, you just met me. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, oh, no, no. When you left... I called some of my friends in Pennsylvania and they knew who you were. And he says, in fact, you're training one of my recruits. I go, really? So long story short, yeah, long story short, he offers me like the head assistant position. So that has a salary. And he says, look, I'm going to give you scholarship money to help pay for your degree. And here I am. I went from being a steam fitter. Now here I am. NCAA Division One coach. <laughs> Very <laughs> and it cool. Was, you know, it was great. I mean, I had yeah. a great experience for a couple of years. I was a strength coach there and, and traveled around the country. I, I coached at the 1996 Olympic trials. Wow. So it was great. It was great. But, but like I said, when I came back, got back into being a steam fitter. But with that experience, I was able to create, when we settled in New Jersey, I created a nonprofit wrestling club. 501c3 club where I was able to provide training for young kids at no cost. Nice. And because um, I was, you know, I was, I got people to donate money and we built a facility and all that. And, and that club is still going on right now. I've turned it over to seeing it younger guys. It's called Patriot Wrestling. Okay. And um, yeah. And, you know, 
How long were you involved? With Patriot Wrestling, I was involved at least 10 years. We created it from scratch, myself and a couple parents. And I kind of, you know, my son was involved in wrestling early on. And then he decided he wanted to get into other sports, which I was okay with, you know. Mm -hmm. That's another (laughs) funny story. But (laughs) when he was young, you know, he was a very good wrestler. And then one day he comes to me and he says, hey, you know, I don't want to wrestle anymore. I'm like, okay, we'll just finish the season and then we'll do whatever you want to do. And he was all upset. I go, why are you upset? He goes, well, this is what you do. I go, well, this is what I do. It's not what you do. What do you want to do? Right. So he wanted to be a snowboarder. Snowboarder. And he, uh, for the next, Nick, for the next 10 years, we spent every winter snowboarding. Me and him. Just going to the mountains, going out west. Yeah, it was great. You're a surfer too, I see, right? So was that prior to snowboarding or did that come after? Actually, I've been surfing since I was a little kid. Okay. We spent our summers down the shore. So I've been surfing almost 50 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Are they similar? Because, I mean, I've snowboarded and I've heard people compare them as far as, you know, how your balance. Well, you snowboarded? Oh, yeah. Yeah, snowboarded for years. Right. So you've gone down the mountain. Mm-hmm. Now imagine the mountain's moving. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the got challenge it. you know it's um got it it's funny because i surfed for a long time and then i had never snowboarded before my son and i we took lessons together and he picked it up right away and i wasn't picking it up that quickly because i was used to being able to move my feet mm-hmm. and they were locked into the snow locked in yeah <laughs> i've had some of my greatest wipeouts on a snowboard totally different than skiing man Totally different. I mean, you know, you, your knees are protected because they're both locked on the board. I think, you know, you, but going front or going back. Knock the wind I, out of you. Oh, yeah. And and the stars. Yeah. I've had a few concussions. Yeah. <laughs> have you been out like in the last couple of years? I have not. No. Uh, we keep talking about it, but just have not. Yeah, it's been a while, but definitely going to do it here next couple of years, I'm sure. When things calm down a little bit. So if... Someone was wanted to get a hold of you. How would they get a hold of you if they had any questions about the trades? How would they contact you? Yeah, so you know, I can be reached by telephone at any time. I mean, I'll give you my number, 856-217-6916. I appreciate that you sharing that. I was thinking more of an email, but but thank you. Call me anytime. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, you know, some things might get lost in translation through email. But I, I would say, you know, if anybody is interested in being a steam fitter, they can go to lu420.com. lu420.com. Right. And the phone number for them is it's 267-350-4200. And the way to apply is, well, first of all, you can go to that website. They'll give you directions to get to the Union Hall, which is up in Northeast Philadelphia. 14, 420 Townsend Road, Philadelphia. So you'll go up there, pick up an application, fill it out, go back up, drop it off, and wait for it to get processed. Sounds good. Yeah, I spent a little time on there. It's pretty, they walk you through it, right? I mean, it's pretty clear, the website on what, how you, what that process is. Yeah. yeah. So there's several people on there that if you wanted to find more out, about being a steam fitter, there's people on there you can talk with. You, you know, there's Jim Snell is our business manager. You know, his contact information is on there. P. 
Pete Klein is our training director. So his information is on there. So there's people that you can get information from, you know, and Pete would probably be a very good person to talk to because he runs our whole training center. Okay. Okay. Which an interesting note, Tracy Mechanical, who I work for, we did that job. We did the union hall job. And um, it was one of the first jobs I did for Tracy. So that was kind of like our crown jewel. Like, hey, you know, we got the local right to it. And uh, so it was pretty cool. So, and it's in a state-of-the-art facility. You know, and when I was doing it, I was general foreman on the job. The United Association, which is our international governing body of steam fitters. Mm-hmm. It's actually steam fitters, sprinkler fitters, and plumbers. We're all kind of together internationally. They were bringing representatives in to see, you know, what we were doing. You know, this was like the best of the best at the facility. Very cool. Yeah. And I actually did some renovation work at that hole also. My neighbor right across the street is Kevin Heffernan. Great guy. And he basically got me in there and it was a, you know, basically a facelift inside, you know, new carpeting, new paint and uh, chair rail. And it was a nice little project. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, funny. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time today. Would you like to share anything else? Do you have any questions for me? Not at this time. I mean, I'm looking forward to what, where your podcast goes. I mean, this is really exciting. You know, I think you're really latching on to something here. And I think it's a, it's a need right now. Like, I'll tell you, my son is a, he's a junior at Rutgers. Okay. And most of his training now is going to be online, like in Zoom classes. Yeah. Right. He's not yeah. getting that in-classroom experience. Now, obviously, we're in a pandemic. This is the worst thing that's ever kind of happened to us, you know, our generation. But, you know, the apprentices that we have, they're still learning. They're on-site learning. They're getting all that practical experience, and they're getting paid while they're doing it. You yep. know, so I think what you're doing in showing the, quote-unquote, alternative route. Yeah. You no. Know, yeah. I think that's hugely beneficial. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and I really do, too. I really think creating awareness and letting people know on, on how you do that. And, you know, certainly people could go online and Google and figure that out. But I think this can really bring attention to it. And, and someone like yourself who has been doing it for as long as you have, you know, just talking about the specifics and, you know, what it has done for you, you know, and your family. And one thing I want to talk about, too, Kevin, is just so people can get more perspective we didn't talk about the overtime opportunities that, you know, the trades have and some of the overtime that you guys can get. I mean, some of the projects when we when there's crunch time and we need to get the project done, you know, we have a schedule, a tight schedule. There's opportunities for overtime and us as a construction manager, general contractor will get approval from the owner to say, OK, guys, we need to ramp up. We need to bring more men and we need to work weekends or what have you. And that is probably the easiest path for a tradesman to make six figures, you know, early in their career with the amount of overtime, you know, depending on how much overtime they get. But if, if you want to touch on that and just time and a half and, and just some of the significant benefits. Yeah, absolutely. The thing about that collective bargaining agreement that we have, it sets a standard for a livable wage. Okay. And it's not like, I don't like to use the word minimum, all right? I like to use the word livable. Like, hey, you're going to be making this much money. You're going to be able to live comfortably, okay? Now, as I mentioned before, that's the wage they have to pay minimum, 
Okay. But you can negotiate over and above that. You become a foreman, a general foreman, a superintendent, you know, you get certain percentages go higher and higher. But like you said, there's always overtime. There's deadlines that have to be met. And the project personnel, whether it be the construction manager like yourself or our project manager for the company, hey, we got to get this done. Can you guys stay late? Can mm-hmm. you stay a couple hours? All right, a couple hours, it's going to be time and a half. All right, well, can you stay four hours? Well, now you're getting into double time. So, and that happens a lot. Yep. And the projects, most of the time, they have the money in there for that. They know that there's going to be delays. There's going to be- There's contingency, sure. There's contingency money. There's things that, there's money that's put aside for, you never know what you're going to come across. You know, say you're putting an underground gas line in and you hit an electrical duct bank. Well, we didn't know that was there. Okay, well, we got to reroute this. Okay, all right, we got some money. We can reroute this. All right, but it's gonna, we got to put some overtime in. Well, anytime there's changes- Anytime you got to work overtime, the tradesman benefits from that because he's going to get paid the extra money. He's going to get that time and a half. He's going to get that over the double time. And all that money, you know, that extra money. In the pension. Goes into your pension. Yep. You know, and that's another thing I want to touch on, Nick, is, you know, pension is huge. Now, I'm 53 years old. We can, with a, I think it's a 12% cut or a 9% cut, we can retire at 55, right? Mm-hmm. 58, you can retire full pension. Now, the thing about having a pension or an IRA is that you can retire with dignity. You've had this savings that somebody's taken care of for you. I mean, you've worked the hours and you've put time in, but it's put aside for you. You know, and that's almost as valuable as that yearly salary that you're making or that hourly salary that you're making. Because now I'm looking, okay, I'm a few years out. Can I retire? You're not the retiring car. You're not the retiring kind. Though. No, I don't, I don't see that. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, yeah. it's nice. So you've put in that time. Yeah. I put in the 30 years, 30 plus years. And now, okay, I can see something. I, I've worked for it and it's going to be there for me. It's yeah. guaranteed. You know, it's, it's guaranteed. Yeah. So. Some tradesmen are a little more free to share, you know, what their pensions are. And, and, you know, some of the pensions that I've heard over the years, it's significant. I mean, guys that have been in, in the business for a while, it's just, wow. And like you said, that's so valuable. It's, it's money that's just ha- goes somewhere for you, can't be touched. It's there waiting for you, you know, when you're ready. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, Nick, is that when I'm 21 years old or 20 years old, I'm not thinking when I'm 55 or... No, I'm not thinking about that, (laughs) but because of this, because of the CBA, you know, the collective bargaining agreement and they are, they're Mm -hmm. thinking about me and my future Mm -hmm. and that, you know, that's huge. That's being part of the trade, a union trade specifically is that somebody else is thinking about you and your future rather than all of it being on you. And I see like, and it's funny because my kids are in college and, you know, yes, they have to take some loans here and there, but if I'm not guiding them, nobody's guiding them. Yeah. And how many kids are out there? How many, and I say kids, but they're young adults. How many young adults out there are even, you know, looking at the fine print on what a student loan is? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, my, my mother guided me. Absolutely. Yeah. Kev, man, this has been real. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you being the first 
interviewee, first guest, I should say. <laughs> and you offered so much value, man. I, I really appreciate it again. And I look forward to our paths crossing again on a big job someday. Absolutely, brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Good stuff. Well, I'll let you uh, get back to the homestead stuff. Thanks again. All right, Nick. Thank you very much, brother. Yeah, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Constructing Greatness podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at nicholasofac at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.